Megan has traveled all the way from the US. She's a vice president of marketing at HubSpot. Super, super grateful to come over today. We know when we reached out, we didn't think she'd say yes. We know how busy you are. So first of all, thank you for that. Thanks for making the trip. Uh, just to give you an idea of what, what Megan does, um, her and her team are responsible for HubSpot's entire brand, uh, the podcast, the overall content. Megan's the host of The Growth Show, which is ha one of the highest rated podcasts in marketing in the world, which is fantastic. And also Megan and her team have helped grow HubSpot's blog. I put, I put here to an astonishing 5 million views a month, but speaking to Megan last night, that's short of nearly 8 million views a month, which is astounding. So please welcome to the stage, Megan. Thank you. Awesome. Perfect. Hey, everybody. Um, so, very quickly, just for purposes, uh, big round of applause for Digital 22. They, it is so hard to put on an event like this. It's late nights, it's early mornings. They've left shows unwatched, they've left kids at home. Big round of applause, real quick, for them. Okay, so I am thrilled to be here. Uh, I did not hesitate at all when asked uh, to come join because uh, this is um, an awesome topic and I was so ecstatic to come here to Clitheroe and, um, and meet all of you. Uh, I am gonna talk today about evolving your content strategy. And um, if you have questions along the line, my Twitter handle is there or you could just use the hashtag for today's event. I'm happy to answer anything that pops up afterwards, uh, or you can come find me and Luke at the bar. Uh, all right, so I want to talk about breakthroughs, which is to say that I want to talk about failure. Because breakthroughs only really happen when you are completely and utterly blocked. That's always been the way, right? And it'll continue to be the way because the truth is that marketing moves really, really fast. You all have experienced this. But the half-life of, half of these outdated practices is extremely long. So you will run playbooks that worked for you two, three, four years ago until you realize that they stopped working one or two years ago. And that is where blocks come from. It's, from, it's not a lack of, it's not your magic going away. It's the magic of your strategies going away. It's the magic of your playbooks starting to diminish in their returns. And it happens all at once. So I want to talk to you today about the time that I got really, really stuck. Uh, so I have been at HubSpot now for nine years. I uh, did not expect to be here that long. I joined the company in 2011. And this is a chart of the traffic to HubSpot's blog uh, in the five years after I first joined HubSpot. I was pretty happy about that. That's a good legacy to start. I wanted to like print that out and send it to my mom and be like, you don't know what this means, but it's good. Uh, and the truth is I probably should have quit right then and there because this is what happened the following year. Uh, the, a marketer's worst nightmare. I call it the great flattening of 2017. And, you know, you kind of, when it first happens, like, who, who, anybody in the room, raise your hand if this has happened to you before you hit a plateau? Okay, good. You're starting to make it feel a little bit better. When it first happens, you kind of rationalize it to yourself. You're trying to be your best friend and your, your best coach. You say, look, it's, it's seasonal. 
Anybody ever blame things on seasonality before? <laughs> yeah. Or uh, this is a good one. Um, you blame like your analytics platform, which is ironic for me because I work for HubSpot and my analytics pl platform is HubSpot. So I'd be like, oh, it's, it's got to be the numbers. Software is awful. Uh, and you just wait and you wait and you wait for it to turn around and for something out there to say that it's just a blip. And then after a while, you realize you got a problem. And this was sort of where my head was at in, the, in 2017, kind of sitting in this moment of uh, breaching confidence. Uh, I had had this great run with content. I had had, we would, you know, taught scores of other marketers to do just what we did, and all of a sudden, our marketing wasn't working. And you sort of question everything that you had done to that point. Was it a fluke? Were you ever meant to be in this role? Uh, and then something kind of magic happened. Right around the same time, Moz, everybody familiar with Moz? They let out a report of their own organic sessions to Moz.com. You guys see a sort of familiar flattening of the curve? And then WordPress released a report about every, every single site or blog that's on WordPress.com. Similar flattening right around the same time. Greatest day of my career, right? Because suddenly, it's not me. I'm not the problem. There was something wrong on the internet. And this is a really cool moment because the moment that you push past your fear and you channel that fear into curiosity is the moment when magical things start to happen again. When you start to get really invested in what has changed fundamentally about the world around you. That is the path through plateaus. That is the path to breakthroughs. And so suddenly my team and I, we're Sherlock freaking Holmes. And we're trying to figure out what broke, what's changed on the internet since we uh, first got into this game. And so what I'm going to walk you through today are some of the, the major components that had changed that had led to this great flattening of 2017 and how we got through that. The truth is things change all the time. Little things, big things, at different paces, at different cadences. And you're never quite sure until you hit that tipping point what, which of those things are going to be the biggest influences. So what I'm going to walk you through are some of the ones that we deem to be the biggest influences on our flattening. Um, but the point here is these things will no longer be relevant in a year's time or two years' time. And the point is to look at what is happening around you in this moment that is changing the way that people consume content and find companies. So these are the big three that we discovered. The first was that structure of your website and your blog was starting to beat volume. And I'll talk more about that. The second was Google had started to reclaim its territory on its search engine results pages. And the third is that social had started to become a walled garden, no longer a pass-through. So let's start with structure. Uh, we had, uh, it actually came up earlier today, we have been famous at HubSpot about talking about the virtues of content, because content is amazing. It is 
Every single piece of content that you put out there is like a front door right back to your site. And so of course, the more doors you have, the more traffic you'll have back to your site. It is compounding. It is the, the whole beauty of how we set up HubSpot and the draw of inbound marketing. More content equals more traffic. And we did all sorts of reports that, that validated this, and those reports were accurate. They're still accurate today. If you publish more content, you will get more traffic. But there is a point of diminishing returns, and there are some side effects to all that traffic. So first of all, how do you get more content? How do you get more front doors to your website? Well, there's two routes, really. You could hire a blogger and just have that blogger create more and more and more content until they keel over and die. Uh, I like my team. I didn't like that option. Or you could hire more bloggers and more bloggers and more bloggers until your budget keels over and dies. We actually went with this option. I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, it uh, we built a massive content team. Uh, and all of them were sort of focused on generating more content. But the truth is that even though more content equals more traffic, yes, it still does, more content can also equal more problems. So here's what I mean by that. We had 15 posts on social selling. And actually, this is kind of an understatement. We had 15 posts on convincing your manager that you should be social selling. Now, here's what happens when you have 15 posts on that. And by the way, like, these posts were written at different times, you know, different spans at different years by different people. Um, and they were all good ideas for posts at the time, individuals kind of coming up with content ideas. But when you have 15 posts on the same topic, even if they take slightly different angles, they're going to cannibalize your own traffic. So every additional post is sort of taking traffic away from that first post. And they're not coordinated in any way. They're just out there. That's a problem. We also had no concept of structure on our website. So um, over here is kind of the old way. We had HubSpot.com, and then we had three. We had a little bit of structure. We had three blogs. Marketing, back in uh, those days, we had an agency-focused blog and a sales-focused blog. And the instruction for the team was, content makes traffic. Just write as much content as you can and put it up there. And in putting it up there, we weren't really thinking about the, the, neither the structure of the content nor the structure of the website. It just kind of compiled over time underneath these three blogs. What we've moved to, and I'll explain why um, in a minute, is less content in a highly, highly structured way. And that is because this structure is what informs Google about what is the most trustworthy or canonical piece on the internet about this content. And so instead of writing you know, 15 posts about social selling all kind of disconnected over here, we would write one pillar page about social selling. And then a collection of posts around convincing your manager to social sell, uh, reports on social selling, but root all of those secondary posts back to that core pillar page. And doing that created much of a clearer map for our content. We called it the content pillar strategy. Some of you may be familiar with it. It made a massive, massive difference 
in our um, organic traffic. So the way that we did this was we identified broad topics that mattered to our business. For us, the, the kind of cutoff point was we needed it to have a monthly search volume of 15,000 or above. So not your niche topics, your, your bigger topics. And we made a, a pillar post around that and then we consolidated all other content that we had back into that pillar post. And by consolidating it, what I really mean is we would take all of the internal links out of those other pieces. So you don't need multiple links linking off to multiple pages on your website. And we would instead just link internally back to that original pillar post using the keywords. You guys with me on that? Uh, and in doing that, we created these really sort of rich clusters of content that all sort of pointed back up to that pillar post. No more cannibalizing your content, instead amplifying it uh, and driving people back into the, the core piece. We also did a practice while we were doing this uh, of optimizing old content. This is actually a, one of the original breakthroughs that HubSpot had. Quick show of hands, are you guys familiar with the concept of optimizing old posts? Okay, actually that's good. Let me go through it real quickly because there's not many of you. So years ago, before we did this pillar cluster, there was a woman on our blog team. She's still, now she's on our web strategy team, but she still works at HubSpot. And she made an observation. And the observation that she made was this. Hey, not for nothing, but has anybody ever noticed when you look at our analytics that 92% of our leads and 75% of our traffic in a given month are from posts published prior to that month. That's important. That's important for two reasons. One, it shows the compounding nature of content. Great. Two, if this is true, then why the heck were all of our content creators focused on new content? Every blogger we had, their primary job was write a new blog post. Nobody was looking at the old content that was delivering 75% of our traffic. That's a miss. And so what we did back in the day was we actually rerouted some of our bloggers. So we had built this big blogging team. And for some of those bloggers, instead of saying, hey, your job is publish or perish every single day, we uh, changed their priority. And we said, your job is actually not to publish. Your job now is to go back to our best trafficked posts and optimize the content. Optimize them for better conversion paths, update any outdated stats, make sure that that content is still really good. Uh, and for anything that converts well but has low traffic, go back and optimize it for search. And just by doing that, we were able to more than double the number of monthly leads generated by the old posts that we'd optimized. And increase the number of, more, of monthly organic search views to old posts by 100%, 106%. These are needle-moving choices. And doing so allowed us the freedom to not be so focused on like churning out content, allowed us to get more value out of the content that we had. So instead of more content, more problems, we had more views with less content. Is with me on that? Okay, I'm just gonna check on time real quick because I have a horrible internal clock. Okay, doing good. So that was shift number one. Stop churning out tons and tons of content for the sake of it and start thinking about the structure of that content, both in terms of the structure of the site, but also in terms of the structure of the content within the posts. 
Now, here's the deal. For us, we had been a publication for uh, you know, 10 years. It was a major feat for us. We had to go back and really restructure our entire site. Many of you have much less content than we do, and it's a, going to be a much easier process to think about that structure. Um, and there's some handy uh, tools at HubSpot's site to, to map this out and to help you kind of get started on it. So the next major shift in the way that people consumed content that had sort of led to our plateau and shaken our confidence. A few years ago, Google, which was really the bread and butter of all of our business, started to reclaim the territory on its search engine results page. Very, very scary for uh, a content marketer. So here's what a typical search result used to look like. You have your number one organic result right up top. Oh, what do you know? It's HubSpot. Um, then you've got the ads down the side. That was great. That was lovely. Ads had their place. Organic content had their place. Everybody was happy, except for Google, because Google wanted to make a little bit more money. And so, um, actually, that's not entirely fair. Google also wanted to optimize for mobile. And so what Google did a couple of years ago was it moved the ads to the center pane. Much more friendly for mobile, but also pay to play. So now, even if you ranked number one, you're below the fold. You can't even see the number one search result on this because of all the ads. Bad on desktop, even worse on mobile. That was scary. Then Google rolled out snippets. Uh, everybody familiar with snippets? Been out for a few years now. So snippets are basically your quick answer box. It's the ability for you to get an answer without having to click through to the site. Kind of a problem if you're big into organic search for your marketing volume. Uh, and you know, literally pulling the content from your site, stealing the content from your site to surface on Google's page. We were really, we were upset about the ads, but we were like, okay, well, we'll do a mix of, of paid and organic. We were really nervous about the snippets. And so we decided to channel those fears and get curious. And uh, turns out we were wrong to be nervous. So we conducted an experiment, uh, just more examples of different types of snippets. We conducted an experiment that I like to call capture the snippet, where we tried to just lean into the change. We de decided, like, look, let's just see what happens if we get into a snippet and if there's a decrease in people clicking through to our site or not, or how big that decrease is. Um, and so we looked at some of the content that had been the most bruised by the snippet movement. So these are actual examples of posts. The first one over here, how to make a chart or graph in Excel. In 2016, 78,000 visits to this one post. In 2017, 48,000. Is your heart palpitating? Because mine was. Uh, best job interview questions, 49,000 in 2016, 32,000 in 2017. Instagram hacks, 76,000 visits a month to that one post in 2016. In 2017, the following year, 57,000. And in each of those cases, it was because another company had gotten into the snippet. Maybe accidentally, maybe on purpose, but the snippet was taking all the traffic. So we figured, okay, well, we can kind of unpack this. We can figure out 
how to get in there, and maybe it'll still lead to a decline, but we'll see. So the way that we figured out how to get into the snippets, not that complicated. Um, it's kind of common sense, but you have to be intentional about it. So um, we, used, we used, at the time, SEMrush, um, free tool that was mentioned earlier today, to identify keywords that had a free, uh, featured snippet. Now a lot of them do, so you don't have to worry about it. There usually is one. Um, and then we restructured the post itself to, be more, to more directly um, answer the question, the most common question that brought up the snippet. We kept the answers really short, so it doesn't get cut off. Uh, less than 50 words, or a list less than seven bullets, and we included the search term where possible. Um, and then we went through and actually made sure that our content code was clean. So we flipped to the, to the code view and just said, like, hey, do we have any random spans in there? Um, we learned through a weird experiment that snippets, at least for us at the time, favored LI-style lists as opposed to um, uh, OL or, or you know, any other format. And uh, we made really clear choices around like what's our H1, what's our H2. So we did this on, a, on the same post that we had gotten um, just uh, dunked on so badly uh, prior to. And then we waited. And what we found was yes, we got into the snippet. And that for the posts where we got into the snippet, even when we had previously ranked number one on organic, our click-through rate didn't go down at all. In fact, our click-through rate for those high-volume keywords increased by more than 114%. That's a meaningful difference. That's flying in the face of our fear. And what we realize is that these snippets, the, the behavior behind them is much more akin to a free trial than to uh, getting your answer completely satiated. It, there was more trust in your article if it were in the snippet, because people got a sense for the quality of the content right there, and then they'd click through to read further. And this has held true for us. Um, snippets actually help our click-through click rate. And so now it's a big part of our practice to make sure that we are building modules and um, content so that they're well-conditioned for snippets. Okay, final shift in the way that content had been consumed. Uh, social, kind of closed everybody out. Used to be this great pass-through channel. I mean, I was, um, I was around for the dawning of the social media era. I, I actually, like, one of, my, one of the coolest things in my life is that I get to tell my kids, and hopefully their grandkids down the line, that, like, I was here when the internet was born. Uh, how many of you in the room can do that? Not everybody can do that anymore. I imagine most people in the room can say that, but like, I remember the first day of the internet, and that was really cool. I also remember the first day of social, and social was this amazing channel that opened up a ton of doors for marketers because the whole motion was you publish something on your site, and you promote it out through Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and any social network that you had, and the click-through rates were great. It was a top referrer for us for a number of years. And then, right around 2017, what a horrible year, uh, referrals from social started to take a nosedive. This is um, numbers from Slate that they shared. Uh, Buffer is another um, social media tech company, tech company, and they have always been really transparent in like the most wonderful way, and they came out with this post around the same time that said, hey, FYI, we're a social media company, and we've lost nearly half of our social referral traffic in the last 12 months. 
That's talk about heart palpitation. Like that's scary. Uh, and so again, we got to figure out what's going on here. So what was going on is that uh, before I move on to that, that these social channels were trying to keep more of the content and engagement right on site. Uh, Instagram rolled out and was huge. No way to link from Instagram back to your site. You could try to do the link in bio thing, but it doesn't really work. Um, and Facebook was pulling in instant articles, uh, trying to optimize more for the experience within the platform. Less and less click-throughs off. So suddenly, not a conversion channel anymore. But that's actually okay. Because you know what's more powerful than content leads that come through a social channel? Interestingly enough, word of mouth. Engagement, brand is a pretty powerful thing. And word of mouth happens on social media. Now, it may not be as direct of a connection that you can measure right off the bat. It may be a longer game. But those brands that build engagement on social media have value in that. And so we, we made a shift where we decided, like, OK, look, we're going to kind of give up on it as a conversion channel. And instead, we're going to change it to a brand channel. And we're going to try to just build the audience on site as a way of getting more and more people into the very top of the funnel awareness level for us. Uh, and what we found is that you know, the best way to do that was through having a strong point of view. Point of view content, not how-to content, but, but actual like manifestos, drawing a line in the sand, really opinionated stuff, tends to fuel word of mouth more than any other kind of content. So we actually split our content team in half. We said, OK, this collection of people, you're going to write how-to content that's, that's designed for search, and you guys are going to go write on the blog. This collection of content people, you guys aren't going to worry about SEO. You're not going to worry about the how-to. You're just going to write influence content, stuff that is engaging, stuff, stuff that is opinionated, stuff that will change the way that people think about the, this space or industry. And that is going to be designed for social. And we actually took very, two very different content strategies for each of those channels. Uh, because they were different algorithms. So we released the customer code, uh, which was uh, really a promise for uh, how a customer should be expected to be treated by, uh, by us and by any company. Um, rolled it out on LinkedIn through uh, SlideShare. Today, 1.3 million views. Uh, and that was about a year since after launch. We released um, some really interesting, we, we kind of rebranded around this idea of growing better and how there's this fallacy in the world that in order to grow, you have to be ruthless and kind of cut corners and sacrifice the customer experience. And we were trying to offer up a better view of growth. So create, released a bunch of content around that that did really well on social, uh, released an interesting um, uh, video on uh, building diverse teams and how uh, diverse sales teams better reflect uh, the audiences they're selling to and is a real, uh, strong strategy for your business. All of these did phenomenally well on social. Didn't rank for anything, but did phenomenally well on social in terms of engagement. So that was one shift that we made. Um, the other thing that we did is we, we found that there is some um, compounding nature to some of this like, point of view content. So this is a look at The Growth Show um, and the podcast that I host. And if you look, the, the interesting thing I'll see here is this is a point of view show. It's an editorial show. It's not going to rank on search. You can have podcasts that do rank on search, and I'm happy to talk about that afterwards. Uh, but it's, it's mainly about uh, editorial. 
And so green here is all the views that we get in the new season. But the point is here that if you, if you strike a chord with someone, they will go back and listen to your back catalog. And that will create more views over time, or more listens over time. And the final thing we did on social was we said, look, OK, we know it's not a pass-through channel anymore. But if the garden is walled, maybe we can sneak conversions on to those platforms. And so on Facebook in particular, we ran a bunch of exper experiments around using Messenger to convert. So um, we had a, a setup that we laid out where we would try to get move people from commenting on a post to engaging on Messenger on Facebook. So they'd view an organic social post, they'd comment on a specific keyword in the post, and that keyword, we built a bot that would allow um, a, met the Messenger window to pop up and to try to engage them in a conversation on Messenger. So it looked like this. Um, content was, think you're an SEO master, type SEO in the comments to play our quiz. These are all the people who typed SEO in the comments. Uh, and then what would happen is we would pop up a quiz uh, through a bot in the Messenger app, and we would uh, you know, run them through that quiz. And um, in doing so, we actually had a strong completion rate of that quiz. At the very end of that quiz, we would say, hey, way to go, Connor. You got five right. Here's a link to an ebook um, that can help you level up even further. Um, and sorry, not, not a link. Actually, more important than that, you could download it right there. And we could actually go through the steps of the form. Hey, what's the name of your company, um, you know, et cetera, to fill out our form right there on Messenger. So we actually brought the conversion away from our site into Messenger and found that of the people who took the quiz, almost 70% of them converted on the content directly within the Messenger experience. And then we were able to send that information back to start sort of the lead process. So social mainly shifted it to a brand channel, but still was able to find some routes to conversion within it that were meaningful and felt engaging to people. Okay. So postscript. So you may be wondering, what happened to my little monkey friend? Uh, is he still hanging out on the plateau? Were we able to break through? Uh, and today, traffic is doing much, much better. I got over my midlife crisis. Uh, we figured some stuff out. We got curious instead of scared. And we went from here, where we had sort of lost, sorry, this is small, but like lost the battle to ads and snippets and we're beneath the fold, to here where um, not only were we in the snippet and, um, and ranked organically, but we started employing strategies to um, build links on other sites and get into, uh, make sure we had strong reviews because review sites do really well on search now. So um, HubSpot's got great reviews on G2. Um, we try to send our happiest customers there and so that helps us get into um, multiple places on the search engine results page instead of just one. We are now trying for a given term to own the first page, either directly or indirectly, as opposed to just being in that number one spot. It opens up so many more opportunities. Um, and because results are personal and they change by person, uh, it means you have better odds at getting in front of people. Uh, you also will see this is my plateau of despair. And you can start to see how our numbers started to go up again. Uh, so today, HubSpot actually gets 
more daily readers than Adweek, the next web, AdAge, uh, and the drum. And we're inching up on fast company and entrepreneurs, so some of these bigger, bigger publications. And a lot of that has to do with the changes that we made when we got stuck. So there you have it. You get blocked, you break through, and you become better. And the truth is, none of this stuff is going to work in a year. So <laughs> get it while it's hot. Uh, in a year, we're going to need to go through this again. And you'll need to go through this again. But once you develop that muscle of always being aware of what's changing and changing right along with it, you get better. So thank you very much for your time. Uh, this is my dog, Otto. He just mandates that he's in every presentation, and I couldn't fit him in earlier. Uh, you can reach out to me at Meg H. Keeney. Um, the podcast is, is The Grow Show if you want to hear it. And I will see you at the bar. Thank you. Thank you.